From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. This episode is a little different today. As you know, The Medical Republic is just one of a number of magazines from the same healthcare publishing company. And we've recently spread our wings into the world of oncology, which my colleague Felicity Nelson has agreed to come on the show to talk about today. Felicity, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Francine. So you've been so busy and you've been working on the launch of our newest magazine, The Oncology Republic. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so we put out our first edition in March. It's a print magazine. I've got it here on the table. You can hear it's all all shiny and new. Very exciting. Um, So we've got a a board of editors who are mostly medical oncologists, but um, people from the cancer community, so cancer researchers, uh, cancer research fundraisers and also a surgical oncologist and we're, we're on the hunt for a radiation oncologist as well uh, and it's been going so well I've never felt so much excitement for a magazine that didn't exist before I was calling around before we even had a product to talk to people about various things happening in the cancer world and everyone was so excited to welcome us into the cancer community so that was really lovely to just get this sense of warmth and um, just genuine excitement for sharing news and insights and stories across uh, that whole area. And it's been an important time. We know that in the last year people with cancer, you know, have had a lot of their care neglected during COVID and people who treat cancer and are involved in that space have also really seen the impact of the pandemic on the care that they can provide. So what's been going on and what can people expect out of the first edition? Yeah, so if you pick up the first edition of Oncology Republic, um, you'll see the first couple of stories are very COVID-focused because obviously COVID, you know, put a wrecking ball through a lot of different areas of medicine. Um, cancer is no exception. So it's it's had a lot of impacts. The main one, I guess, is the, the misdiagnoses, the miscancer diagnoses that we saw last year. So a lot of patients avoiding hospitals, skipping screening appointments that they normally go to. And that's just meant that there hasn't been as many cases of cancer picked up as we normally would have. Um, so there was a paper in, in uh, the Medical Journal of Australia that showed that there were 10% fewer cases of cancer picked up uh, across the state between April and October last year. Um, and that obviously would be replicated across all states in Australia and it's also a trend across the world as well. Um, and we, we did interview a few uh, experts in this area and they said that hopefully there won't be any long-term damage because we have the capacity to catch up now as long as people go back to their those appointments that they missed. But uh, there might be some tragedies that come out of that, of course. Another one that we, we caught was this, uh, there was a cancer conference in Lawn in Victoria, which is uh, on the Great Ocean Road, very pretty location. And a lot of cancer experts going to the Lawn conference were really excited to get together face-to-face for the first time in months and months. Um, but <laughs> there was a lot of chaos caused at that conference when they, uh, the SNAP lockdown came into effect on the 12th of February. Um, and so a lot of delegates uh, was last seen fleeing across the, the border of Victoria trying to get home before the lockdown came into effect. Um, and so I actually interviewed the organiser of that uh, that conference, Professor Mark Shackleton, who's an oncologist, Um who came came on our podcast and had a chat to um, had a chat about what was happening at that event? And luckily, everybody could still catch each other online once they'd got home. Um, so, some people were tweeting about uh, their cats also attending the conference, which was pretty cute. And now that we have the COVID vaccines here in Australia, there's a lot of questions about 
the eligibility of different cancer patients and, you know, a lot of stories about who is suitable and when and which vaccine they should receive. What's the latest on that? So Bianca Nogrady, one of our freelance writers who actually does the live COVID blog for the Medica Republic, looked into this. Um, So the latest is that Cancer Australia has put out some recommendations for patients with cancer. Um, And it's, it's pretty sort of on the fence. They're saying that patients should consult with their healthcare providers <laughs> for more information. Um, so I think it's it's really a case-by-case basis thing, but generally it's con- it's not considered, it's considered that patients with cancer should at least go and consider the, getting the vaccine. Um, Professor Frank Boyle, the president of uh, the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia, uh, he's also a professor at the, uh, he's also a professor of medical oncology at the University of Sydney. He was speaking to Bianca and he said that the biggest area of caution was that it's not clear if the vaccine would offer the same level of protection against COVID that it does in the general population for people with cancer. But he also offered a sense of hope saying that a lot of other vaccines like hepatitis B, meningococcal and influenza work well in patients with leukaemia. And he said that um, there was a case where patients with cancer should avoid being vaccinated and that was when they had a, that when they were likely to have a low white uh, blood cell count, um, such as in the middle of getting chemotherapy. So yeah, it seems like we're still waiting for more evidence to come in, but there's no reason to be particularly alarmed about getting the COVID vaccination if you've got uh, if you're a patient with cancer. And last year, when we were all sitting at home and not going out and not doing things, you know, we probably weren't thinking about it. But the reality is that we were also missing out on going to a lot of fundraising activities, and this is really important for cancer and cancer research. What does that space look like now that they've missed out on fundraising dinners and activities and walks and marathons and all the things that usually raise money for the disease? Yeah, so we spoke to Tour de Cancer um, about this, and they usually raise about $10 million per year for cancer research. Um, and they said that they weren't able to do some of their biggest events throughout the year last year, which which really had a big effect on how much money they were able to raise. Um, so they do mostly cycling events, but they also have an annual snowball, which raises quite a bit of funding. Um, and they were sort of describing it as a bit of a drought in cancer research funding. But fortunately now the tide seems to be turning because there's a big desire for people to A, go to events and B, give back and do good following a pandemic that's caused so much, you know, havoc and tragedy. And what else are you working on this week? So I also do the back pages for the Medical Republic, um, which is our comedy and curiosities column. Um, you might have enjoyed reading Grant Holloway, who, who's actually been doing it in print for years for our publication, um, but I've been jumping in and doing a few. Uh, and I saw one that jumped out, which was about cancer, so I thought I'd share that one. Um, so the headlines, uh, cancer rates BC, which is before cigarettes. So the story is that researchers at the University of Cambridge have gone out and found some medieval skeletons that were in cemeteries across um, the Cambridge area of the UK. And they've gone and examined the bones to try and figure out if there are any scars from cancer. And once they've they examined about 143 of them, uh, they found that there was a much higher rate of cancer in that population than we'd previously thought. So we'd thought that because people in the Middle Ages didn't smoke cigarettes and weren't exposed to pollution and didn't have a very long life expectancy, that they would have a very low rate of cancer. But what they found was that the rate 
in these uh, particular individuals was about 3.5%. And then when you translate that into a rate across the population, it would be about 9 to 14%. And the reason that it's a bit higher is because not everyone who has cancer shows these kinds of cancer scars on the bones. It's uh, just a fraction. And so we know exactly what that fraction is so we can extrapolate across the whole population. You know, obviously it's a very kind of rough uh, statistic, but it's kind of interesting because it's around a quarter of the rate of cancer that we have today, but it's a much higher rate than what we previously would have thought. Um, so today people have around a 50% chance of getting cancer in their lifetime. Um, and the reason that is, is because we're exposed to yeah, tobacco pollution. But another interesting one is that that they raised in the paper was that we're exposed to widespread widespread viruses, which can also trigger cancer in some cases. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, looking at a more ancient population and seeing those differences. Yeah, it's, it is super interesting. So if uh, any GPs out there or anyone listening to the show is interested in reading more, you can check us out on oncologyrepublic.com.au uh, where you could subscribe to our newsletter or our print magazine. Um, and if you're interested in, in hearing more from me in a podcast form, you can just hop on Spotify and type in Oncology Republic and you'll find us there. Thanks so much, Felicity, and good luck with the magazine. Thanks, Frankie.